0: From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company. Bursette shotgun from inside the five at the four and a half, takes the snap, looking, he's got Cooper, left corner, caught it, touchdown! Bursette underneath center, on second down, Jacoby waits and takes and gives it, Chubb darts left, he's through to the five and going in, touchdown! Nick Chubb! It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas.
1: All right, here we go. Five o'clock hour, big hour on the way. We got tickets to go see The Who. Also, Jeff Beck and Johnny Depp. So that's coming up this hour on Cofield and Company. Ari's running things. Adam Hill is here as the company, fresh off his trip for uh, New Orleans, And the Raiders, he was in Saints land, so we'll get a report on what New Orleans was like. But very busy day, very busy day around the National Football League. Things have changed, clearly, right? Uh, Clutching and holding on to the draft picks now is not like it used to be. Teams will move draft picks, and I think a lot of that is because the Rams for years have said F them picks, and they won a Super Bowl. So maybe some others are going to follow suit, and you don't have to have – I mean, a lot of times teams go in with 13 picks. Like You're not going to keep all the guys anyway. You can't pay them all. Flip it for experienced players as long as they're at a decent price. So deals today include Bradley Chubb to the Dolphins from the Broncos, uh, Chase Claypool. Packers wanted them, offered a second. Bears offered what might be a better second. So – Claypool goes to the Bears. TJ Hawkinson, we haven't talked about that one. We'll break it down a little later to the Vikings. Uh, Hines, the Colts running back to the Bills. Calvin Ridley on gambling suspension moves from the Falcons to the Jaguars. That could be a nice move uh, down the road for Trevor Lawrence. Jeff Wilson running back to the Dolphins. So they had potential, um, eh, you know, 1A, 1B running back with Wilson. We'll see if uh, Mostert can stay healthy. But Wilson to the Dolphins. Uh, Chase Edmond goes to the Broncos and uh, Bill Jackson, the third goes to the Steelers. And we know yesterday, Roquan Smith went to the Ravens biggest impact deal so far. Take out McCaffrey a couple of days ago. Who is it? Chub? Bradley Bradley Chubb Bradley Chubb to
2: the Dolphins. Yeah. Bradley Chubb. I think it's, it's a huge, huge player for sure. A very talented player. I think Roquan Smith filling a need uh, with the Ravens could be pretty impactful as well. How fun is the AFC East become?
1: We talked about the AFC West being this awesome division, the best in like 20 years. It hasn't worked out that way. The AFC East, now, I don't want to ruin things by tempering this, by saying this, but this is what the NFL wants. When you have the best teams load up on a schedule with other great teams, and the teams in the middle and the bottom get to play like teams, there's going to be a shift. You know, there's going to be some downward movement, some upward movement, and... Like, I think that's been the case with the Jets. Um, but here's the thing. It's been fun in the AFC East. Bills are awesome. I know you want to fight against that. Dolphins, you know, are playing, like, video game uh, offense. That's that's cool. And now, look, they're they're adding, and they got this weird guy as a coach, you know, uh, the evil genius, very punchable face and Mike McDaniel. You going to disagree with that? It's not punchable. The Patriots, I just saw, I think Sam Panijatovic, our gambling insider, was just telling someone to come and find him. In some debate about Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. Uh And then with the Jets, and I don't want to do a replication of our block every day from 10 to 3, which is New York Sports Talk Radio here on ESPN Las Vegas, but I do have to mention real quickly, anyone who's having a real discussion about Zach Wilson and pressure to move him out of the position, what are we doing here? He's playing unless he gets hurt again. I don't care how horrific he is. If you take a guy number two in the draft, he's getting the full year. This is the de- that is stupid. That's where I'm going to leave it. I'm going to stay calm. He's not losing his job. He's going to suck beyond belief if that what if that's what happens. And then that's it. They can make a decision, right? Give him the whole year. Well, that, I mean, that's. And hopefully he's not a horse's ass throwing the ball that's, underhand and looping it over someone's head. And God, he was terrible. But he's not, I mean, I saw someone, I guarantee Mike Smith, what's his name? Mike White. I'm a Jets fan. I freaking, I can't remember the guy's name who came in last year and had a little cup of coffee. And everyone's like, yeah. Everyone loves the backup. He's not being challenged, nor is old man Flacco going to play. That's enough. He's playing the rest of the year.
2: <laughs> don't give me a butt please don't give me a butt no, Well I mean the question is can they win Can and they win what this year Can they win Who this cares? year cares well, I don't they care because they were win- They were a contender. They're not. A, they were not a contender. Right. They never were. You on know pa- that on paper they were. Their standings yeah. would say they were a contender. Five and I two disagree. means nothing. They're they're still I'll... building. They were ahead
1: of schedule. They got a couple of wins that people didn't expect. You know they they the stepped fluke into a over they, the Browns. they stepped into a break. Yeah, they won a miracle game against the Browns. They step into a break, sort of created by them with Bridgewater. But then you know they get. Skyler, Diggin Thompson, whatever his name is, right? He gets to play. They and the, the Packer game that 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 gets fluky. Like, don't lose sight of the mission here. You take a guy number two in the draft; he's gonna play.
2: Stop. Yeah, I mean, unless they've made the determination that they're done and they're moving on, but would you? Is it
1: would that be a smart move? If you invest a number two pick in a guy, and he was hurt to start the year and had an incomplete season a year ago, he gets this year to play. All right.
2: I, I hope no one in that organization is like, nine or ten wins. I mean, we're right there. You're not. Right. You're not. Yeah, I, I would kind of agree with that. I, I just think it's it's whether they believe there's any future at all for Zach Wilson. And if they do, then he has to play. He's got a future. He's just got to stop playing like a horse's ass and throwing the ball around. The, the issue they're going to have is other players. And that's something to, to weigh in. I mean, did you, did you saw the highlight of Garrett Wilson? Where he's wide open, and then Wilson just f- fires it to the defense, and Wilson just starts punching the air. And I would—I mean, you can't hear him, but uh-huh. I would imagine screaming. Like if the other players are like, "I can't play yeah. with this dude anymore." Yeah. Garrett, you're a rookie. Relax, okay? Yeah. It's all part of the mission.
1: Brees sure. Hall went down with a torn ACL. It's all part of the mission. This is not—this is not supposed to be the year. Let the guy develop. If he doesn't develop, you know, you gave him a bunch of weapons. You move on, right? I—I'll I I I tell you right now, I would love nothing then. He listen. They either, he he plays well. They win nine or ten games. Okay, he sucks ass. I hope they lose every single game left, and they're in the derby to get Stroud or Bryce Young or whoever is deemed to be the
2: guy. Sure, they they already screwed themselves by winning too many games early. Well, that's Which happened a lot problem. in the NFL. Well,
1: what, what what's up is down, and what down is up. I mean, this is yeah. what are the Seahawks doing? Yeah. Top. Yeah. You're five and three now. Now they can't turn back, and they somehow they've manipulated the situation where Geno Smith is the freaking top ten quarterback. I don't even know what I'm watching. <laughs>
2: it's, it's wild. The league is wild. It's, it's, the a lot Texans of and the things. Lions
1: are doing exactly what they need to do. The Lions have 5,000 picks. They just got more picks with Hawkinson. They're going to be in a perfect position to get one of these quarterbacks. And the Texans all along really don't want to win. And they've been close and they've
2: been competitive and got positive, but don't win games. It's brilliant. Yeah. They're doing it right. Those teams are doing it correctly. Yes. Other teams are not. But but in, in terms of the Jets thing, it, it that's the decision that has to be made is, do they ever think that Zach Wilson is going to be anything? And if I don't they don't know yet. Right. But if they do, then you have to keep playing. He has to play. You have to make the if they make the decision he's not, yeah. then he's done. The, the but t- if, if, if as long made, as there's if, any chance. If they've made that decision
1: already, they're wrong. They haven't seen enough. Unless I'm missing something off the field and the uh the MILF doinking is uh, out of control and he's distracted. That I mean, that could be something I don't know about. Sure. He's not focused. It's a hotbed sure. of Milson in the uh, New Jersey, New but York area.
2: Regardless of outcomes, regardless of how he plays, he is the quarterback until they decide they're never going to use him as the quarterback in the future.
1: So this guy across the way is almost impossible to talk with outside of the show anymore. Like you can't get him via text. I was I was like jonesing for my New Orleans fix, right? I uh, I couldn't go to New Orleans this year. I was going October, take like five days, love New Orleans. And I was so jealous last week when you—I think on Friday or maybe even Saturday morning—I started texting you and I'm like, "What's going on? Where are you? Where are you? it was Saturday? Where are you staying? Like, what's coming up tonight?" And then you answered, and then you were like, "Terrible weather." And then I looked up, it was like tornado
2: chance. I'm like, "It's New Orleans. Go out. Risk it. Come on." Well, not during the day. was a. You can
1: always duck into a building.
2: I posted it on. I posted a story on Instagram. People were freaking out. It was bad. I mean, it was it was brutal, brutal on Saturday afternoon, and then it cleared up. It right. was fun. So give me the highlights of the trip because it wasn't the game. Uh, no, just walking Bourbon Street on both Saturday and Sunday night, and last night <laughs> before my flight. Um <laughs> uh, Just the, just the complete chaos, and a couple of my coworkers uh, had never kind of done that really? before, and uh, we're kind of just blown away. Watch just this, door, the,
1: watch this dorkiness. What do you think of the street?
2: They old worked on a, gross. They, they
1: worked on it for like four years. No, they they repaved a lot of it. It's oh, nice it's gross. now. It's terrible. And I they got rid of a lot of the old kind of like broken up road and. The cobblestone
2: and crabs. I made the Tonight, comment... You can walk it. Before anybody... Break your ankle. No, you can't. It's Bef- gross. Before anybody ever it, had a drink, I made that comment. I said, I said, the crazy part is there's probably people that fall down here all the time, yeah. and people are like, look at this drunk guy. And like, no, it's because they stepped in a hole yeah. and fell down. Like, the streets are uneven. Well, it's, the rest... The sidewalks all
1: around town, because uh, maybe not so much on Bourbon Street, but around town, they... I don't know what what their public works is like or what their budgets are like, but not good. they, uh, the trees all grow into the sidewalk, so... Yeah. I'm like a nervous wreck when I go with the SO cuz the SO snapped her ankle last year falling down. Don't want to embarrass her, but now I'm like, <laughs> yeah.
2: "Be careful." I'm like, "Uh, ah, crack, bump, watch it." She's it's, like, "All right, enough. It just it makes because the 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 whole the beauty of New Orleans is just kind of walking around with a drink and people watching. It's Fremont watch yeah. Street essentially, uh, like here. But once you get lit, you could go down. My I think my even first before. my first or
1: second time there, um, I don't even remember this, but you might have been working as Mr. X over on the board on uh Fox. Uh, no, you know what? It, actually, I think this was a Sportsman Radio no, uh, Network trip. It was. It was probably '99 or 2000. <laughs> Is that the year that uh, I'm not going to go down that path? Anyway, I was with the sports pig, and you know, pig was like a wee wobble. He would he could fall down very easily. He fell he fell multiple times. You're going turn around. He's on all fours, like in front of a strip club. I'm like, I'm sorry, bro. It's just you got you got to watch yourself. And he
2: you know he's trying to set the Jack Daniels shot record, which he was always you know. Sixty three in a night, whatever it was. It's it's rough because you want to just walk around with a drink and just look at all the craziness in the cast, especially Halloween weekend, which was absolutely nuts. But you want to watch, you want to watch the the street though. Like yeah. you never know where you're going to step in a hole or a yeah. curb or an uneven piece of pavement. People are just falling down all over the place. It's 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 awesome. Like yeah. I just love that aspect of it. Uh, it's just such it's such a great time Good. just to be out. Halloween.
1: What was it like? <laughs> so many costumes. No one loves Halloween more than New Orleans. It's great. It's so crazy. It's, they it's and great. the streets are all decorated. The the houses go crazy. Well, our
2: our favorite thing, and uh, if you, <laughs> I think if uh, if we have uh, Paul on the show from ESPN any, anytime in the future, uh, <laughs> we had we there was a, there was signs everywhere of saying there's this costume contest, not like in a particular establishment, just in general. There were signs all over the Bourbon Street costume contest, like City Run, whatever. We're like. Where, Where is this go? happening? Huh? When who who's judging? Where does this happen? There was no information on times or dates or anything. We just kept laughing about it. Like, oh, maybe the costume contest is starting. Nobody ever knew what had happened or what it was gonna be. It was wild. But there was a uh there was a Steve Cofield mention. Which is weird. Very weird. Did you go with we were you on the trip with someone who actually is friends with me? Because not many are. No. It was I was He's like no. I was with a couple people from uh, here in town, media-wise, and uh sitting in a bar. A, it was the place where they invented the hand grenade, the famous drink in New Orleans now, which is like a green. I've been in that place, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we were just sitting there. There was like a cover band. They were doing a lot of Beatles songs. It was kind of cool. Just checking it out. Huh? And I was wearing a UNLV hat, and somebody came over to me, and I'll just say was tough to understand. <laughs> Not that they had an accent or anything. Maybe they had a few too many hand grenades. Yeah, yeah. And started just asking me, like, oh, what's UNLV? What's what's the hat? And I was like, Oh, you know, I'm live in Vegas, you know, went to UNLV. Uh and he's he at some point dropped in a have you ever heard of Steve Cofield? And I was like, Yeah. You're legit? You know and me. he goes, Have you ever heard of Caleb Herring? And I'm like, Yeah, it's kind of a friend of mine. We do we do some shows together, yeah. we talk all the time. Fire. He goes, I know those guys, and I'm like, All right. I was like, Cool. And I was like, That that's great. And, and he said, you really know, like, you know him? Or you just? I was like, yeah, like, I, I do shows. And I showed him, I actually held my phone and showed him my Twitter profile that right. says right. I, like, host a show with you. Right. And he goes, oh, I've seen your tweets before. That's cool. And I was like, okay. And I was trying to ask him, like, how he knows Pete. And it, it, it was going like, nowhere. Uh, I think, yeah. I don't know, I believe from translating some of what he said yeah. that he played on the 2014 Heart of Dallas Bowl team. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, I will right, we'll have to put two and two it together. Was,
2: it was it was weird, but you couldn't get anything else out no, of I you. Could, so I annihilated, couldn't, I couldn't figure out what his, awesome. he said. That's awesome. Wow. About. It was it was an interesting. You're like conversation. I think he played. I think so. He was because he kept talking about the heart of Dallas Bowl and like you know playing in it, and I was like okay, well you were on that that team. I mean yeah, like I I I think. I don't want to. I don't want to judge. I don't know. I don't know. Right. I think that's what he was saying though. So was, that was kind of a cool. Like you just see random people. I know uh, our friend Paul was walking with me, and then somebody just said Paul, and he looked up, and it was somebody he went to high school with, who just randomly happened to be <laughs> <Not laughs> in the Raiders same time. Fan. Like no. I figured, a Raiders fan who's seen him on ESPN is going to know. him. Just some Barstow guy. Yeah. Get out. But there was also we were uh, we were <laughs> on the street walking. Paul and somebody, Gutierrez, by the
1: way, on the Raiders. Yeah, yeah. He went to Barstow High School.
2: Yeah, and somebody on somebody on one of the balconies was like, "Hey, that's that guy Paul Gomez that covers the Raiders." (laughs) Like, yeah, Paul was like, "Well, that felt racist." Okay, very nice. It was it was just a lot of moments like that. But just walking, it's just it's such a such a vibe, such an energy, and obviously the the history of a lot of things you can explore there. Um, Jackson Square is just a weird place. Just a lot of artisans and you know strange people doing just whatever art and uh it's it's wild it's such it's such a scene it's such a uh I know a lot of people just kept saying the vibe the energy of the city is just this is a different kind of feel it's cool
1: what's the best food you ate I don't even know what you like there you're a I, seafood guy so you could do all of it
2: yeah I mean I we tried tried some uh tried some gumbo that was very good some alligator alligator sausage gumbo nice that was solid definitely definitely good we went to uh do you know the story of Napoleon's house it's, Remind a, cool, me. it's a cool little restaurant uh yeah. down like just south of Bourbon Street but it uh basically the mayor of new orleans at the time built a house for napoleon to to come to after they broke him free from uh from exile and they were going to bring him to new orleans <laughs> and three days before they were going to bring him to new orleans to live in this house uh he died he was poisoned and so he didn't get to make it but there was this house that was built just for napoleon to come live in so they turned into a restaurant and uh we went and ate there that was really good actually p- super affordable Really really cheap restaurant. It was seemed like it was going to be a place that was expensive, and then it wasn't at all. You know what? I've been there. They have a big courtyard on the back. So yeah, that's
1: like the main dining area. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I went there yeah. a couple years ago. It was cool. It is good. Yeah, very good. Awesome. Good. I'm okay.
2: glad you had a good trip. Saw some uh, as celebrity. if I'm some
1: New Orleans native. Like you're bumping your give some, me all the
2: give me all the tips. Saw some local celebrities at Cafe Dumond. Don't want to really. That's a good spot. Give away that they were there, but oh, really? Yeah. All right, tell me during the break. A yeah. uh, quick time out. We're going
1: to talk to a local celebrity, Lon Kruger, in about 15 minutes. Uh, former head coach of the Rebels. He's going into the College Basketball Hall of Fame on the 20th this month. So we'll do a little reminiscing and talk some Rebel basketball in about, uh, like I said, 15, 17 minutes. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill
0: LVRJ. Or tweet the show at Cofield and
1: Everybody has to look at themselves and say, we stunk it up. Our fans pay
3: good money to watch us play. They follow us all over the country, and we stunk it up for them. And it's time for us to turn this thing around, and guys got to step it up and start making plays." Now,
0: back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. studio.
1: Bill Romanowski, all fired up yesterday, the uh, former Raider and Niner and Eagle and Bronco. He was hammering the Raiders for the shutout in New Orleans. They're two and five right now. Meanwhile, Golden Knights looking to go nine and two. Right now, they trailed with about 11 minutes left in the second in Washington, beginning of a uh, rather long East Coast trip. Eichel with a goal late in the first period, the tie it at one in the second. Is that uh Trevor Van Riemsdijk, who was like for the briefest time actually a golden knight, wasn't he? Like for yeah. eight seconds. For I, mean, sure. I don't remember when he was traded, but, but he got he got drafted in the expansion draft. Sure. But a the only reason I know that he's from my hometown, there you go. New Jersey. So uh
2: more important, maybe local yes. sports update. Do it. Bryce Harper, two run home run, bottom right. first, two nothing Phillies. All right, Las Vegas Phillies. Off to a good start. Excellent. Yeah. He's on. He is on fire.
1: You talked to the uh, coordinators today? Media yeah. availability for the Raiders? Yeah, nice uh, eight a.m. Nice <laughs> eight a.m. start to the day. Yeah, I saw that with the uh, <laughs> with the team staying in Florida. What do you got? You got a uh, McDaniel's tomorrow at like uh, seven thirty. Seven thirty. Even though they're not. By the way, you can watch all the stuff up on YouTube. You can. It's all that on the Raiders page. So you if you're up bright and early, I think it's a seven twenty availability. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, it's good for you. Yeah, I'll still be awake. <laughs> That's exactly before your uh, mid morning nap. I was today stayed up, did the, did
2: the availability, and then took a nap after. So,
1: I mean, I would think Lombardi would be the focal point this morning, right? You get shot out. Sure. What does that mean?
2: Well, I mean, it, look. Lombardi, I, mean, like,
1: I know he doesn't call, he does, he's not really yeah. calling the offense, it's McDaniels,
2: yeah. but his take would be kind of interesting on it, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, my, a couple of things I'm working on this week uh, really are focused on first down efficiency, and so I got a couple of questions in to him, and um, he, you know, he again, he's not the play caller, so it's different. He doesn't have he doesn't have to answer to, right? You know, why did you call this? Why did you call that? He he's not calling it. He's just kind of the coordinator in title, uh, but he is kind of a, you know he's there for concepts and and that sort of thing. So uh, there's some things he can say, but he, there's not much he can say necessarily. It's not his offense. Can
1: anyone explain why I mean, Taysom Hill got 12 touches? The Rams gave Ronnie Rivers 12 touches. <laughs> Josh Jacobs had 12 touches after three straight games over 140 yards, and I, I keep hearing about early in the season and then yesterday, well, you know, game circumstances changed those things. Uh, that Sunday game, things never felt like the Saints were going to blow them the hell out of the water. Run the ball. Yeah. I, I mean, Keep I, feeding Josh Jacobs. Let, let's go. You weren't down 31 nothing in the second.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like the the part of it was they just weren't they weren't getting anything and they got to the point where they just thought it wasn't gonna happen. Josh Jacobs, I, I talked to Josh after the Ten game. Ten carries? Yeah. You make I, a determination, that's it? Yeah. I, I talked to Josh after the game and he just said, he goes, Look, I actually don't think we were blocking too bad. He was like, I don't think I was, you know, not finding things. He's like it just seemed like they were so over prepared for the run and over committed to the run that they just took it away. But but,
1: but I mean, but think about that. They're overcommitted to the run. They took the run away, but you can't find Devontae Adams. Yeah. He's targeted five times. Well, they headed
2: it to him. Which did
1: not work <sighs> at all. No. I felt bad for him. As soon as he got the ball, he got smashed in the face. I know. And then, and then that, that whole series, you're like, all right, come on, let's get up off the deck. Fake punt. Okay.
2: That's about as bad as it gets. Well, and the issue to me, and jo- you know, Josh McDaniels didn't say this, but being there live, I felt like they called that play... Th- thinking, okay, there's three things that can happen. Either we pick up the first down and get a big play out of it, or we just pick up the first down and get a couple yards, or there's no gain, and we just go for it on fourth and one. What they didn't prepare for was losing two yards and being fourth and three yep. and then being in a spot where, oh, now we have to punt, and they didn't want to give up the ball, so they panicked into a fake punt. It is, it, to me, what happened there. And it was just more of a result of having the outcome they absolutely did not expect on third down with that play. And having a split second to decide what to do, and they went fake punt, which was obviously not didn't work because even if it worked, there was a penalty and it wouldn't have counted. Uh, it was just that was a total mess, and that 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 series right there, to me. And then the, then the Saints get the ball and throw an obvious interception to Trayvon Merrick, who steps out of bounds instead of securing it. Like those three plays right there, were just such a massive swing in the game.
1: Three six four eleven hundred caller seven three six four one one zero zero tickets to see the Who. The Who hits back tour two nights coming up. On the 4th and the 5th, just right around the corner, got tickets to the Saturday show. Caller 7, 364-1100, 364 Get your tickets to The Who. It's Dolby Live, Park MGM Ticketmaster.com is where you, can, uh, where you can get your tickets, Ticketmaster.com. But right now, free pair of tickets. Ari's got them, 364 to go see The Who. Wednesdays, it's the Marcus Arroyo Radio Show at 6 p.m. right here on ESPN Las Vegas.
0: At and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. All
1: right, let's talk a little college basketball and college basketball history. It's safe to say probably our favorite sport still right Adam Hill even though you cover football and everything else. Love college basketball. Oh no question. Lon Kruger one of the legends and uh, certainly made our job easy back when he was coaching UNLV, and he's still around the scene, and we'll get into uh, these 22-23 20, Rebels in just a couple of minutes, but a, a great honor for Lon Kruger as he's going into the uh, College Basketball Hall of Fame that's coming up on the uh, 20th of November, and the coach is in with us here for a couple of minutes on Cofield and Company. Lon, how are you? Good, Steve. Adam, how you guys doing? We're good. We're good. Time flies, doesn't it? It just seems like just a few years ago that you were nice enough to come in studio, and we'll be talking... Uh, running Rebels basketball, and you had a good run uh, once you moved on to Oklahoma. So National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, what does this feel like?
3: Well, time does fly. Uh, you know, It seems like just yesterday we were a young coach just starting out. <laughs> and through those uh, 45 years, uh, it did go quickly. It had a ton of good players and uh, great assistant coaches and obviously a lot of very good memories. So uh, uh, very fortunate uh, to have all those relationships um, in our lives.
1: Lon, you will often talk about your coaching achievements and you say, we, you just said it where, when did that start? Why do you say it? You know, why is it a we instead of me?
3: <laughs> well, you know, quite honestly, uh, it goes back to the, the mom and dad, you know, and, uh, we'd come home from school, whatever we, that I did this or I did that, it, it, be all over that they say, who did it oh, uh, wow. <laughs> and uh well we did that you know our team you know so it really was a pet peeve of my dad's actually and uh it's always been we and uh you we talked uh, you know obviously we hopefully pass that on to our players a little bit and uh you know there really uh really is a team a team result
2: coach you've obviously accomplished so much and you're you're getting a new honor all the time but this one in particular is such a such a massive one what does this mean to you
3: it's special. You know, it's not something you think about uh, when you start out coaching. Uh, when you get into a while, uh, you know, you recognize others that have gone in to the hall of fame and, uh, and respect, uh, you know, what they, what they had accomplished. And, and yet it's, it's uh, you know, in, in coaching more so than as a player, even, you know, it really is the result of having a lot of good players, but, you know, because uh, there's no one ever gone into the hall of fame or anything else without having had a lot of good players. maybe, as a, as a player maybe you did something individually that stood out and and appropriately so but really as a coach it really is the result of a lot, a lot of guys playing playing pretty well
2: and you you talk about some of the coaches that you've had some of the players that have gone on to you know great things as players great things as coaches uh, what what does that legacy mean to you in terms of you know spawning these careers of either guys that want to go out and play at the next level or you know guys that want to coach on their own uh, those sorts of things? What does that mean to your to you and your legacy?
3: I think any coach, any teacher, you know, I think takes great pride in in seeing their students or pupils or players, you know, do well. I think our goal with every one of the players is to help them, you know, develop the habits uh, to to go out and compete successfully and maybe as close to their potential as possible. Of course, uh, you, you never get to a hundred percent, but uh, you know, that's what you're t- you know, teaching every day. That's what you're talking about every day. And the frustration for a coach or teacher is to see someone with, with talent, not achieve. And, uh, you know, those, uh, those stories also stand out uh, on the, on the other side of it, but no, it's great to see young people do well and, and feel good about uh, what they're doing, what they're accomplishing and, and uh, taking satisfaction in
1: seeing them do that. 17th class in the uh, history of the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame is uh, coming up, the induction on November 20th, and uh, Lon Kruger, former UNLV head coach, is going in with uh, quite a group. Have you looked around the, uh, the bios here in this group? There's a lot of coaches, a lot of really historical figures in the, you know, the, uh, the making of college basketball a national sport.
3: No, well, no doubt. Yeah, it's a very it's a very impressive group. Uh, a lot of people that, uh, of course, we uh, coached with and coached against. And uh, we look forward to seeing those folks in Kansas City.
1: Yeah, John Beeline, uh, Jim Calhoun, uh, Roy Williams, uh, some great players as well. Uh, Frank Selvey is going in. Uh, also, Rip Hamilton. You know, it's funny, in your bio, how about we give you a little paragraph about the athlete and the player that you are? It's all, I mean, your coaching resume is awesome. Coach, but uh, Lon Kruger was quite the athlete. Um, we haven't had you on in a while, and I, I just wanted you to mention to the Vegas audience that you know hasn't heard you speak before. You know, in terms of your bio, um, tell people you know some of the accomplishments as a college basketball player, and you were a multiple sport athlete.
3: Well, I was uh, yeah, at Kansas State played uh, you know basketball and uh, during basketball and then baseball in the spring. So uh, actually, grew up loving baseball. Really was a. Uh, our first love growing up because dad was a huge baseball fan and loved playing. So uh, grew up, uh, you know, uh, with that being our first love and it really was a small school, you know, 35 in our graduating class. So all the guys played football, basketball, baseball, whatever was in season. And, uh, and uh, certainly good memories from that.
1: No doubt. I talked to uh, Kevin today, Kevin Krueger, for a little bit, of course, the coach of the running rebels. And I was asking him to, uh, you know, talk about you going into the hall of fame and, and your legacy, and the thing he kept mentioning over and over again is treating people the right way. And I know you know we're we're kind of hitting the same themes over and over again, but that's another thing. You know, not every college coach is known for that, where their players walk away and they're like, "Hey, Coach Kruger treated me right." So uh, you know, why was that always an important thing to you to make sure that no matter who you were coaching, they walked away with a good impression, and you know, you weren't screaming and yelling at them, and you know, you treated them right and the family right.
3: I think as I as they get to these years, retirement years, I look back and realize how fortunate I was to, to have the beginning that I did with my parents. You know, again, my parents were all about, you know, uh, being respectful and, and treating others uh, like you want your, your son or daughter treated. And uh, we kind of maintained that throughout our coaching career. And uh, my wife Barb and I talked about that a lot. That, you know, a, uh, you know as, as frustrated as we can get with them, we, we, we still – had as a baseline, you know, how would we want our son or daughter treated if someone was coaching them? And, and we really tried to hold to that. And, and for the most part, I think we did. And, uh, you know, it, it should be enjoyable. You know, we want, we want to create an atmosphere practice where players are looking forward to being there. You know, they're coming early, they're staying late. If they're doing that, then that gives us a better chance, more time, uh, with which to teach. And, uh, and, uh, for the most part, uh, I think our players did enjoy practice and, uh, Look forward to the competition every day.
1: And, and really, in the end, that's that's a true legacy. I mean, you're you're training young men to go in and, you know, to the workplace. If it's not basketball, to go into the workplace and be productive citizens. And if, you know, eventually they have subordinates, that they know how to operate around their subordinates and make that a, a positive work environment. The uh, kind of the, the old-school fire and brimstone coaching thing, I think a lot of people are are kind of tired of.
3: Well, I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, you know, you want, you want your players to uh, – you know, be a person that others enjoy being around.
1: And we talk to them
3: about that all the time. If you walk into a room, are people happy to see you? Or are yeah. they, uh, you <laughs> know, turn uh, I don't want to hear any more gossip. And I don't want to hear anyone being negative. You know, so we talk to players a lot about that. And uh, hopefully they can uh, take that into their
2: lives. Coach, how tough is it for you to watch rebel games now i mean I've, I've seen you on the sidelines a couple of times or in the stands and it looks like you're actually coaching a game i think there's some intensity there while you're watching kevin how, how is that it's easier to
3: sit on the sidelines as a coach than uh, than watching <laughs> watching your son coach no no doubt about that but uh probably uh barb uh, you know barb will ask a few times Well, you know what what's wrong what's what's going on especially if i'm watching tv and she's in the other room and I let out a yell about someone messing up a defensive assignment or something. So, the, uh, but yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot harder watching uh, than it is coaching, or, or or even harder to coach than it is to play. So the players have the best end of the deal. Yeah.
2: How, how, yeah, for sure how do you how do you handle that fine line of you know obviously you're one of the greatest resources anybody could ever go to but you also want to let kevin you know do his job and handle things the way he wants to and run his own program so i guess how difficult is that kind of communication where you want to help and, and be of assistance but you also want to let him do his thing
3: unfortunately you know kevin and i you know every day we've all of our lives we've, we've talked about basketball so that hasn't changed so fortunately, yeah. uh you know uh you know, after a game or after practice, we get the opportunity to talk. But but to your point, uh, it, it's all Kevin's show. And, and certainly, uh, you know, if uh, if we get into a conversation and he has a question about something, uh, you know, I appreciate that. Number one, I'm kind of waiting for that, actually, <laughs> and looking forward to that opportunity. But, uh, but also careful not to interject, uh, you know, until he's ready for it or, or ask for it.
1: National collegiate. Basketball Hall of Fame is welcoming in a 17th class. Lon Kruger, former Rebel coach, is on the horn with us. He's going in on November 20th. This this question is going to sound wacky because it's going to sound like you stopped coaching like seven years ago. But I feel like in the short time you've been away, program building has changed a lot. Now, maybe it's all going to correct itself here. But as you're watching this, what is the best way to build a program now with the transfer portal? Uh, you know, I, I think the notion is you want to kind of be old all the time, but does that mean you never bring in freshmen?
3: Yeah, it's just it's changed. I think, like you say, it's only been a year and a half since we walked <laughs> away from the sidelines, but uh, it's changed dramatically during that time, especially from the standpoint, you know, it used to be uh, and, and most gratifying thing was about the relationships and the loyalty that you have over a four or five year career with the guys. Uh, and that, I'm, I'm I'm afraid that that's just going to be very rare going forward because, you know, Kev had nine, I think, new players last year on his roster. This year he's got eight. Next year it'll be, you know, I think the average of roster turnover in the country will be greater than 50%. Yeah. When you think about that, now, two or three of those will be graduating seniors moving on. But for the most part, you know, you're going to see that it's just a different game. You know, it's uh, with the portal and the NIL, uh you know, really, you know, maybe the high school, the marginal high school player, maybe is less likely to be recruited now because, you know, a coach is just uh, makes sense to go get a guy that's got two years of college experience under his belt and and come in and help you right away.
1: And yet, having freshmen around is really interesting because you do have to nurture them, and maybe you got to do it even more. I saw after practice today a little uh, extra coaching by uh, Barrett Perry, one of the assistants, now with Kevin and. You know, Keyshawn Hall, um, because it's got to be tougher now than ever for freshmen because they've got that you know they've got that voice kind of outside the program saying, "Hey, you know, you don't like it, you're not happy, don't stick it out." Um, so I think as coaches, but it, it, in the end, isn't that why you get into coaching, right, to to deal with all different types of players and their challenges? Well,
3: that's a big part of coaching. You know, absolutely. You know, if it was just the X's nose, everyone would uh, would be uh, you know feel great about that. But it's not. You know, it's so much about personalities. It's about confidence. Is about uh, helping a player through uh, a period where he's not playing as well as he wants to. Uh, Yeah, all those things are are huge in developing the chemistry and the locker room that you need uh, to not only have a successful program but also to enjoy it each day. So, uh, yeah, the freshmen, uh, you know, that uh, think they're going to step in and and play a lot right away and have the same that that they had as high school seniors, you know, uh, they're the ones that, you know, the high risk guy actually, because uh, the opportunity for frustration all those voices in their head about you know hey you can go somewhere else check it out you know it's uh, kind of an easy thing to do today it's to the transfer as opposed to picking it out and, and earning your time
2: how's the golf game coach
3: well it's never as good as i'd like for it to be you know <laughs> so i'm certainly uh my golf season is certainly different now it used to be uh may to september and uh now, when Kev had to put him up uh, a month ago, uh, I'm able to still get out there. So I don't mind that part of it for sure.
1: Well, congrats on this. This is a great honor, and we're really looking forward to uh, you know checking out the uh, the ceremony. Thanks for giving us time today, and we'll see you soon because I see you out of practice all the time. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Adam. There he is. Lon Kruger, longtime coach of the Rebels, highly successful coach. Of the Rebels, went on to Oklahoma, took them to a Final Four, his second Final Four, and wound up taking a, a bevy of programs to the NCAA tournament at a bunch of different stops. And, yeah, today at practice, uh, they were going hard. And then afterwards I saw, you know, Keyshawn Hall and, and uh, Coach Perry were talking a little bit. And uh, and Kevin Krueger, you know, he's I, I, I try to chat with him as often as possible. Um, we've put out a lot of the stuff. You can go up to – our uh, Learfield podcast page. And we've played a lot of the interviews and, and short clips. We'll have more this week um, about program building. Cause what they're going through right now, I think is what everyone's going through. Like, what do you actually want to
2: do? Right. What do you do? What do you think? What, how do you think they should do it? I mean, I, I think you have to, you have to be open to everything. Yep. Uh, I mean, I think you ideally want to have a couple of developmental guys and mostly old guys playing, but then, you know, you might develop them for somebody else. Right, what happens the when the developmental guys
1: after a year, are like, hey, I'm not, I'm not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, I don't yeah. want to wait. I don't want to wait until year three and someone, you know, laterally is saying, you, you come here, you play. Yeah. Or and- just
2: below, hey, you're gonna play a lot. It's, yeah. t- it's tough. And you feel like you've wasted that time then developing a player who then goes on to play well somewhere else, and then every day you're checking the box scores and like, God, that kid had 22 and eight. Like, we, how could we not keep him around? But it's it's the risk you take. Yes, yeah, this, this Hall of Fame class has uh, John Beilein, your guy,
1: longtime uh, coach at Michigan. Jim Calhoun, Rep Hamilton, Larry Miller, Frank Selby, Jimmy Walker was another great player at Providence back in the day, and then Roy Williams going in. And uh, I will guarantee everyone at that Hall of Fame ceremony will have about the same thing to say about Lon Kruger. And this is exactly what Kevin told me today. Kevin Kruger is a head coach now at UNLV. That um, the legacy is. Just the way he treats people. And we heard that all the time, right? When there were transfers coming in, because, you know, I was going to joke with Lon. Remember, he's one of the guys early on who took advantage of the senior transfer rule, which no one had really heard of. Like, you graduate, you can go somewhere without sitting out a year. You know, back in the old days, you had to sit out. Now it's a free-for-all. Kevin was one of those guys who got to come right in. And I wanted to joke about Bo Ryan. Remember how pissed off Bo Ryan was? (laughs) Today we lost to
2: a rule. Yeah, we lost to uh-huh. a rule. Old Shut grumpy
1: up. Bo Ryan. Maybe he
2: saw it was coming. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's still one of the most preposterous press conferences I've ever watched.
0: Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag.
2: Don't touch it. Don't even look at it.
1: Only on ESPN Las Vegas. <laughs> what's this, what's this <laughs> Closing out this edition of Cofield and Company. Adam Hill is here. It's Steve Cofield, Ari as well. You can check out the archives of the show at Network.com. We didn't finish up the Kyrie discussion. Kyrie Irving, and retweeting, not promoting this movie with anti-Semitic messages in it. Charles Barkley, according to Rachel Nichols, quoted as saying on Kyrie, quote, I think he should have been suspended. I think the NBA made a mistake. We have suspended and fined people for making homophobic slurs, and that was the right thing to do. Like, if you insult the black community, you get suspended. Suspended. I don't see what's so complicated here. I mean, we talked about the gray area of a retweet, and you heard the whole give me a little more Nick Fordell and Kyrie Irving as you're going back and forth as we have a little word salad here as Kyrie tries to drag Nick Fordell into the deep waters and, you know, just twist him into a frenzy here. But Kyrie, you have to understand that by I don't have post, to understand anything from you. It's Nothing. not me. Nothing. By it's posting No people that what you're making you did, up, bro. Move on. But by posting. Move on. Next did, question. Next Anybody question. do you guys have any more it, questions And they're me? gonna say you guys have any more questions this Semitic is going be a beliefs. clip this is
2: going to be a clip that he's gonna
1: Marvel at is this any more questions but you're not answering the question oh, this, this is another answering your question oh my god let's make another Instagram clip so we could be famous again next question right so instead of addressing the issue mock and chide someone and claim they're just trying to be famous when the person's been on the beat and you know them and you've dealt with them it's just it's stupidity and as I pointed out in the first hour Unfortunately, we're we've all been subject to this all this nonsense, these political commercials, you know, with the redirecting and the over the top sensationalizing and clipping quotes and just we've now got a bunch of politicians, public servants that don't really serve us, but play these word salad games by redirecting and pointing fingers. It's just it's it's nonsense. And I suppose Kyrie, as he in part one of that clip, basically said, I. I wasn't promoting the movie. I wasn't promoting it. So, for Adam Silver, what does he do? How does he deal with the gray area? Because when Kobe dropped an F bomb, you know, homophobic slur, I know it was on the floor, but you're know, like, he said it. All right. Kyrie, you don't really say anything truly. You're not, it's left open to interpretation. I can retweet lots of stuff. Doesn't mean I endorse it. I might be mocking on it. I just yeah. send it out with no comment
2: so you could be suspended I suppose that's why I, I just don't yeah you know, I, I don't think they should be getting involved um, yeah. I, I just don't think they are capable of setting a strict standard of here's what the rule is here's what it's not uh, it's it's very tough to do and, and I you know I just I don't think I, I don't love it I, I don't like that it can be done and I don't like that players have a platform to say those things. But also don't know that the league is yeah. capable of making those decisions, so it's. I guess it's up to us to judge, and up to teams to whether they want to sign somebody like that. Steve Nash is gone, by the way. Yeah. He you missed out at the beginning of the show or during the day, Steve Nash is out as the Nets coach.
1: I don't know if he walked, if he got fired. Jacques Vaughn's going to take over. Remember, this is a uh, you know a player tandem in Durant and Kyrie, who basically when Nash got the job, like, hey, do we need a do we need a coach really? Okay. So the, the seed was planted back then. It's just weird, man. It's weird. And if the Nets had any opportunity to send Kyrie anywhere as a salary dump, they should have done it. Just start over. Start over. See what you can do with Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons. I'm, I mean, you know, already a nightmare. I
2: guess still early in the season, but all everything, all these things were on the were on the wall. The writing was on the wall for all of these. things. I mean, you're dealing with Kyrie and and this current situation, right? And last year
1: was the vaccinations. Like, what? There's something else that's going to come up. Of course. This isn't course. the last thing this season. Flat Earth. He's, he's got FU money. He's going to do what he wants. And when the Nets don't do anything about it and Adam Silver isn't doing crap, Charles Barkley's calling out Adam Silver like, do something. Why would Kyrie care? I mean, unless he, keeps, unless he actually starts speaking about it and more of his conspiracy theories and if he wants to go DEFCON whatever on the Jews as – Tanya was saying, then maybe that'll get him in trouble. But until he's 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 he kind of done it already, like push it to where basically no one's going to tell me what to do.
2: Okay, I mean, right now he's right. It's true, isn't this also? Can we also make this an indictment on the Duke education system? Probably not. I think we should. Probably not. He was he was there briefly. I'm no, not that, saying every Duke product is every, a is a sweetheart. We know that everything he learned the from biggest Duke. thug in the league, sure. and Grayson Allen. Everything you learn, you learn from there. I think anytime we can go after Duke, I think we should. I know you want to. Well, you're also wearing UNLV hat right now. You should
1: You should also. Trying to break it in. It's my uh, breaking it in for the sidelines, <laughs> sure. for the sideline gig. Sure. All right, Capitals right now, 2-1 on top of the Golden Knights, the end of two, and the Phillies have come out fighting for nothing.
2: Top three. The madhouse in that building, too. Yes. Bryce Harper with a home run. Was it Alex Baum? Yeah. Brandon Marsh. Home run
1: and Brandon Marsh. Yeah. Well, Brandon Marsh looks like he is getting ready to wrestle every time he comes to the plate. Does he actually wet his hair? Like every time he comes up, his hair is dripping wet like a pro wrestler. That's
2: how, how it like should Brent be. Bret Hart. Why wouldn't it be? I like that. It's good. You're he jealous? also looked like it might have been a check swing home run. I got a. Oh, wow. see it in a more clear picture I just saw in a uh, Twitter video real quick
1: listen to the archives of the show at LVSportsNetwork.com. you can react to anything we were saying today on the show at Steve Cofield at Adam Hill LVRJ. have a good Tuesday night we'll see you tomorrow